Welcome to Strategic Real Estate Coach Radio, hosted by Josh Cantwell and Kyle Gariffo. Strategic Real Estate Coach is where the nation's leading real estate investors, brokers, and agents turn to transform the way the real estate business is being done in neighborhoods across the nation. If you desire to make more money, do more deals, grow your passive income, and build the lifestyle you've always wanted, you need Strategic Real Estate Coach. This powerhouse team is led by Josh Cantwell, a seasoned investor with nearly a decade of experience over 700 transactions and over 5.5 million in fundraising generated for himself and his partners. Now, sit back, listen, learn, and accelerate your business with Strategic Real Estate Coach Radio. So, hey, everybody, welcome back. This is Josh Cantwell, a CEO at strategicrealestatecoach.com and Freeland Ventures, real estate private equity. Welcome back to the Strategic Real Estate Coach podcast and interview series. I am really excited today to be with all of you, to be meeting with and talking with a, a brand new friend. His Jason is Jason Yarusi from New Jersey. And uh, Jason is an active real estate investor. He's also the host of the Real Estate Investing Foundation podcast. And uh, Jason actively invests in single family flips and also holds over 400 units of multifamily investments. And I'm excited uh, to get Jason's take on kind of what he's focused on today. Uh, also, his start in real estate and real estate investing, what he's really thinking about his goals and objectives are for the future to kind of open up all of your eyes on what's possible with your real estate investing and then get some ideas from Jason about some advice that he would give his former self. Uh, and some advice that you can take away in your own real estate investing to kind of take your business to the next level. Um, Jason, so welcome. I'm so happy to have you on. So happy to learn more about you and your investing. So tell us a little bit more about what you're focused on today. What's your primary investing strategy and how does that help you achieve your personal and financial goals? Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. Super excited to be here and just Thank you for that great introduction. So yeah, just as we've said, we are actively flipping here in New Jersey. We are doing heavy rehabs that align with our heavy construction company where we're actually lifting uh, homes that are in flood zones, making them FEMA compliant, and then basically being able to put them back in the market and it'd be safe havens for homeowners to go in there and now live in a place that's been remediated. And we're turning that income to turn that over to buy large multifamily in the Midwest where the numbers make a lot more sense compared to what we have here in New Jersey. Fantastic. So tell us about, so I, I funded a lot of deals in New Jersey. So through my private equity fund, we funded a lot of deals out there. I have some high level borrowers and clients and students that operate there. Seems to be a, a, a very active market for flipping, for wholesaling, uh, you know, I've obviously have a lot of New York money that flows up that way. That corridor seems to be jam-packed with people and with cash. You've got Philadelphia and Boston and Jersey and New York and all that kind of seems to be very, very active. So tell us a little bit more about, uh, you know, some of those specific FEMA type of properties. Uh, we've done a lot of properties in New Jersey that have had oil tanks. So it's New Jersey has some of these unique uh, opportunities to buy properties that are, I guess, out of compliance, either oil tanks or flood zones or FEMA issues. Just help us understand that a little bit more. 
Sure. Well, as you can imagine with New Jersey, being on the East Coast and just the way homes are developed over it, you, you have homes that are anywhere from, you can have 1,700 homes, 1,800 homes, homes that are built today. So there's there's a whole mix and, and towns can be comprised of these homes. And so where we had Hurricane Sandy basically about six, seven years ago now, you know, you had almost 200,000 homes affected somewhere on the East Coast. And over these six, seven years, a lot of these homes have not been able to be rehabilitated or if they are now living back in them, they're still getting crushed because because over the next still seven years, their flood insurance is continuing to uptick. So at this point, towns are requiring homeowners to now become compliant, which means taking the home and lifting that home to whatever is the height regulation to basically make it compliant and, and with that make the town safer because of the insurance adjustment and also now cut the homeowner's insurance down from what could be five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars a house to now maybe five hundred dollars. So if you think about just your insurance in general, you, got, you have a mortgage payment and then you have, now you have your, your insurance and now you're tacking on maybe another, you know, two, three, four, five, ten thousand dollars just for flood insurance. Well, if you look at just the scope of America, it, most people, a good majority, unfortunately, are still living paycheck to paycheck. So if you're going to have this increase of insurance that's going to tack on, it's really going to hurt homeowners. So there was a lot of assistance that was put out through federal grants that comes down, of course, from the federal government that goes to the state. And these programs enable homeowners to be able to have a grant that allows them to become really just FEMA compliant. And whether that means that they, they flood proof in some way or they elevate their house. And just so happens, my crazy dad had this awesome idea yeah. some 45 years ago. Crazy dad, right? We sure do. And he said, too. <laughs> no, he, we come from five generations of construction background. I got uncles in everything, even aunts. So my dad said, you know, instead of having a framing crew, which I'm doing every day and, and just now competing with someone who now just, you know, fails as the hot dog guy or fails on Wall Street, becomes a framer. He said, I'm going to go move houses. And okay, so however you start that process for the last 40 something years, we've been lifting and moving buildings. So. Wow. You never expect, of course, have a storm of this capacity come through, and I hope we don't have it again. But it actually just encouraged such a an uptick in the business because we went from you know doing you know twelve to fifteen projects a year to doing one hundred and fifty. We've done uh, almost seventeen, eighteen hundred lifts since Hurricane Sandy. So the business wow. just absolutely blew up. And one, okay, that's great. And we've been able to help, uh, you know, many homeowners, lots of towns really just get back on their feet. And it's been great to see, but it's also now it just evolved our business as well. And that led to the point is we're doing all this active work. And as you can imagine, if you think about a house, they weren't built to, to say, okay, hey, let's build this house. And now five years down the road, we'll just plan on lifting it. It just, no house was ever had this point that we're going to lift a house. So Every house, no matter if it's the same build or 10 times over, always has this new complexities. And my family's able to, you know, streamline the process and, and make it look easy, but it's still very rigorous and hard work. And so with that said, we've always been looking at avenues of how we could create more passivity to our, to our business because everything is just, you know, hard. And especially when you have, you know, maybe a third of the year is, is sub, sub, very cold temperatures, especially right now, you know, we're out here, it's, you know, 12 degrees here today. It wow. can be very, very difficult to get the work done and the days get very short. So that's where we started moving into real estate and learning what we didn't know. And every day, of course, brings that battle. And so we started with some flips and flips grew to, you know, wholesales, to more flips, to some small investments out of state, learning that process. And that really spawned, you know, we, we had a couple uh, small multifamilies in Indianapolis and it just, 
they were just doing so much and it was just looking at this where we weren't really involved, which, which besides really just creating a plan and it just spawned that if we could just multiply this by 10 times or, you know, 20 times or 30 times the units and get one large complex, well, what could that look like? And that spawned the whole evolution of, okay, let's learn everything we can about large multifamily Let's sell off all the smaller assets and let's go strictly into a big property. And that took us from the first one where we sold off um, our last three unit and jumped to a 94 unit. And that was our first bigger buy there. Fantastic. That's great stuff. So, um, so the, the houses that are, that are uh, you know, in flood zones that need to be lifted, I wanted to ask you, how have you incorporated that construction strategy where you're kind of working for construction general contracting dollars into actually doing flips? Have you just said, okay, this house is maybe damaged from the storm. I'm just going to go ahead and buy it and lift it, make it compliant uh, and sell it for a profit. And then you walk away like a traditional rehab, but it just has this extra lift component. Correct. And that actually is, is a huge part to it because there's certain towns now that if the homeowner goes to sell their home to me, I couldn't go, even if the home was perfectly livable and everything's working, beautiful home, but if it's not compliant, meaning lifted to the new elevation, meeting all the town, town ordinances, I would not be able to get a CO and go there and live. I would be in violation. So we're, we're able to pick up these houses at discounts because ideally the scope of work can be extensive. When you're lifting a house, that's one cost. And then to replace the entire foundation or even add to the foundation is the other cost. All your grading, extending your utilities or replacing them new if they didn't do anything after the storm with all the salt water that hit the utilities. And then everything else that comes with it, of course, adding stairs and any of the other requirements that come with the town. So we're catching these houses at pretty substantial discounts. But what's happening now at this phase of, of time is that certain towns that were down and out before have now revived from this because it's pushed, pushed out some of the uh, weak points in, in the market. And now towns that really were, were pretty dim before are starting to really get life back to them. So some of the houses aren't rehabilitated. We're catching that point that even sometimes during the rehabs, we're catching, you know, we're not, we're not banking on the appreciation, but we're catching appreciation over the course of these. And the, the thing that is the one difficult point to manage with these type of projects is there are certain aspects that are out of your control. And sure. one of the requirements here in New Jersey is that uh, you actually have to have the utility companies shut off the utilities. And that comes on two factors. So you have to put in letters and then they will come out and that could be anywhere between three and six weeks and shut off the utilities. And then the same thing, when you're ready for the project, you get the house lifted up to the new height, put the new foundation up higher and set the house back down. You have to do the same process in reverse, send them another letter to have the utilities come back on. So you have to plan correctly because in your holding costs, there could be a two to four month part right there where you're in limbo. And there's no power. You're dealing with it. You're dealing with just, you know, some entity that is in full control. And if they're very busy, like in some of the summer, some of the uh, peak weeks of summer or some of the peak weeks of winter, then you're just basically out. Actually, um, when Puerto Rico, when the, when the big hurricane happened down there, a bunch of New Jersey, the companies uh, sent a bunch of their trucks down there. So it actually delayed the process even longer. Oh, so, God. Yeah, you just have to make sure of account, even though you can get big discounts on houses, you may be into projects where you could turn it around three, four months. Generally, you're talking six to seven and a half months for a project here. Wow, yeah. It's interesting to talk to you about this, Jason, because I have a coaching student of mine. His name is Teddy Slack. I'm not, if, you know, if you're familiar with his company's called Qualified Investments, and they do oil tank and oil tank removal. It's almost the same exact story as yours, 
very, very parallel, but doing oil tank removal instead of the lifting of the house. Uh, and he was able to acquire a house for a dollar that had significant contamination. And his company came in, actually bought the property as opposed to just doing the general construction work, bought the property for a dollar, did an amazing job in making sure all the oil was removed and remediated and just made a killing. It was well over a six-figure profit um, on that property and has done that over and over and over again. Um, I have a property actually that was, uh, a, you know, we're a private lender and a, and a big um uh, private equity fund and we made a loan to a borrower out in Jersey. The guy ended up defaulting. We had to take the property back and we found that there was an oil tank right in the front yard. And we had a buyer for the property at 165, which was essentially enough for us to cover our initial private lender loan. And as soon as we removed the tank, put it back on the market, we actually got an offer that was 20,000 higher, uh, same house, just minus the tank. And Teddy actually uh, did the oil tank removal for us. So a little bit of a niche strategy, but seems to be in New Jersey, that type of stuff is out there quite a bit. Sure is. And when you can find that, because of course, once we elevate the house, it's basically just a typical rehab again. You yeah. know? And so that, that, but that's the big cursor here is there's a, actually a license, an elevation license. So there a lot of states uh, do not have a license for house lifting, uh, but New Jersey, there were so many issues after the storm, uh, the house lifting community pushed together just one it was more of an insurance reason. There were so many people out there lifting homes. And typically when you're, when you're in construction and maybe you're framing a house, you'll have, of course, your general liability, you have builder's risk insurance. Well, if you're lifting a home, that doesn't cover you. So if someone just had builder's risk and said, I'm going to lift your home, and they take the home and take it off the foundation, and whatever happens, the house falls over, the house has a ton of damage, they're not covered because they don't – this is basically wow. – crane coverage that we're carrying that's come from the crane industry. It's called rigging. Uh, rigging insurance can be called care custody control or even cargo insurance, which is the old way where you're basically putting a house on a truck and maybe moving it down the road. Maybe you see that in Texas a lot. Yeah. So we pushed together a coalition just to make sure it was really most important that people are properly insured because there was it was giving the industry a bad rap because you were just seeing people break apart houses when wow. it doesn't have to happen and it's completely avoidable. Got it. Yeah, that's amazing. You're the first person I've ever met that out of all the real estate deals I've done and people I've met in the last 13, 14 years that lifts houses. This is great. Um, I get that. I get that more than you can imagine. <laughs> I bet. I bet. You get, uh, so you, you move the furniture? I was like, well, no, we take the whole house. So, <laughs> yeah, that's great. So your, your strategy, which is a lot what I teach my students and what I did in my own personal life was we were wholesaling houses and doing rehabs to create current income and then taking that income to invest in commercial, uh, our private equity fund, which invests in both residential and commercial as both an equity investor and a lender. And then also with apartment buildings, sounds like you've taken the same approach. You guys now own over 400 units. So tell me about that. You, you talked about it briefly. Um, are those 400 units? You got that 95 unit that you mentioned. Um, what was your what was your sort of attraction to the apartments? Was it was it the equity bill, the the, the little amount of work that went into it, and uh, help us understand what that portfolio looks like now? Is it a bunch of multifamily, small apartments? What does that look like? And the reason why I'm asking Jason in particular, part of it is a selfish reason, is because through our private equity fund, we fund a lot of apartments. We love to fund value add apartments. And we fund both on the debt side, the first mortgage side, and we fund a lot of equity. 
Matter of fact, I got a deal closing on the 15th. Um, we're funding 2.2 million of equity into a $30 million apartment building. Actually, acquisition is about 14 and a half million. It needs about a million and a half of improvements, reposition. We're only gonna be into it for 16 million, uh, but on a seven cap, it projects out, it performs out at 30 million after it's uh, repositioned. So I'm asking because I want our audience to get to know you better, but I'm also asking for a selfish reason to see if you and I could do more uh, deal flow together. And I love that. And that's what the great part about meeting new people, right? And so yeah. I appreciate those questions. And it just came to the point is that we're very active, right? And so we know here that if it's, if it's in front of us, sometimes our, our biggest Achilles heel is that we're going to be prone to do the work, even if it's not the best use of our time. And that's what we're always trying to do is size out. How can we make this more efficient? And so my dad being, you know, a, a stubborn old Italian man, he, he really, yeah. really knows it. But, but if, I, if I said, dad, hey, let's get this done. You know, maybe we got to go dig a hole. And we got 10 guys there. He'll be the one digging the hole because he, he wants it done right. And you'd be like, uh -huh. okay, dad, listen, we got 10 guys. Let's do it. But that we're all prone to that. So I figured if we could find ways that we could use our knowledge but not be allowed to do the work and just really set up right with the process, it actually could align us to have, have the best use of our time and our knowledge. So we started learning just, and it came down as, you know, we didn't just, go all just go and do this right we started watching what everybody else is doing like what are, what are people like yourself doing how are you doing successfully and just figuring out okay these are the steps they're taking i don't have new don't have new ideas because those are the ideas that other people are doing and they're doing it successfully and that's sometimes the the biggest thing is just you always want to find a way that you could do it better but sometimes it's just following a process that's proven track record and finding ways to improve in that process that really can create success. So we started small. We had friends that were buying you know, twos and three units out in uh, Indianapolis, um, had put together a project management company, uh, had construction out there, and just had a team in place. And that was the first aha moment is that we had to focus on building the team out of it and focus on the market. So saw that and saw the use of these two and three families. And it just, it, they were cash flowing tremendously. Of course, there's not a ton of appreciation you're going to find in, in Indianapolis, but we were just having great turnaround with them. But we were seeing, okay, I got a, I got a duplex and I'm now I'm one unit down. I'm 50% occupied. And, I, and now I, I got a roof and that's taking it down. Well, okay, we're still cash flowing great, but if I can turn this around and find a hundred unit property, well, what do the numbers look like? Can I, can I afford to now have on-site management? Can I afford to have a maintenance guy, a leasing office? And now maybe I have one or two roofs across a hundred units. So my, my economies and my efficiencies get broken down a lot more. And it really just came down that it's the same process. It was just more zeros. And as we could start getting our mind around that, that really from a two unit to a five unit to a 50 unit to a hundred unit, there's not a substantial amount of difference as long as you have the team in place, the process in place, and the understanding and the mindset that it just all comes down to zero. So we went back and looked at, at what people were doing and it came across that never even knew about syndication, just learning the syndication model. And now started honed in on the market. The first one we honed in on was Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, it was actually the third market was the one we really took home. And it came down that it had moderate population growth, uh, really just ho-hum. You know, nothing to see here, but we weren't going to have big ups or downs no matter what happened. Great job growth, you know, same thing. Moderate job growth, but a really good job diversity. You know, it's got uh, FedEx, Humana, UPS, GE. Uh, and just one of the uh, wild cards is my sister is the only – I will say smart one who doesn't want to work in the construction business. Women. Yeah, that's right. So she moved out. She lives in, lives in Kentucky. So I've been to Louisville enough 
And so I, I had the idea and the framework, but I just started making introductions to people, you know, through sites like Bigger Pocket, just saying, hey guys, you know, I see your flipper there. I see you're a lender there. Can I just chat with you? And just started learning about the path of progress and just understanding, okay, you know, the, the East is uh, a little outside of the price point I want to be in. The, the West seems to be, you know, a little too, too crime ridden. The, uh, the Southwest is maybe too poor. Downtown was downtown, but the, the blue collar working class really just send it on the South and South Central submarket. So that's how we're going to hone in on it. And once yeah. I was doing that, I was learning the terms. I was finding the metrics to make sure it worked. It was a great MSA. We started now having that talk and building our team. We found a great property manager who was really aligned with BC assets. They had about six, 7,000 units under management, still work with them today in-house construction, real-time data. So we aligned with them. We're able to start now having talks with brokers, growing our network, and we started having deals come across. And as we were doing this, we were building nice. ourselves out, finding our point. We were having investor talks just because you have Jason who's lifting houses. And now I'm telling, you know, our friends and our network, oh, now we're buying apartment buildings. Of course, that's a, that's a hurdle for them to get to, right? right. And people... We hear a lot, you know, we, we run a meetup here in New Jersey just like a give back. And we hear people, well, I've never done a deal. So how can I ask people for money? Well, it's more that you got to get people over that mindset that now yeah. they have to get used to what you're doing. And then a lot of people have only maybe if they have invested maybe in the stock market, maybe, maybe they've thrown some crazy money at crypto these days, who knows, but rarely have they invested in, in an apartment building. So they now have to understand that and that whole component of why would I invest in an apartment building? What are the opportunities that come from an apartment building? So now they get used to you. They get used to the idea of an apartment building. So now when you actually have this real deal that comes back, it's not that they have to get used to you and now get used to the idea of an apartment building and the real deal. And now you're within, you know, 30, 45 days of due diligence trying to make sure you have the money and all the other moving components. So we actually were putting together our investor network by showing them a mock deal of what we were looking for. Nice. So when we did find a deal, which took time, right? It wasn't a, uh, hey, we just asked for an apartment building and it showed up. You know, it was about a, you know, 11, 12 month process, which it actually- Dropping out of the sky, right? Exactly, right? So I said, one apartment building, next thing I know, I turned around and it was right behind me, you know? So, exactly. So it actually was one that we had offered on uh, sometime earlier. We had offered on it sometime in uh, 2016 and came back, they, we, we, we offered a 2.1, they wanted 3.2. And it just, the numbers worked. It was a, a, a old gentleman, 90 something years old, passed away. And so his kids had the apartment buildings, but they lived all out of state. The guy had like a thousand units. They wanted nothing to do with it. Even though the, the dad had done it forever, you know, the kids, they, they were just like, no, but they had this price in mind. So we said, okay, they came back and just said, no, we want 3.2. And we just said, all right, we're just too far apart, right? So we just said thank you and went our ways, but we've been tracking the deals we're offering on. Seven, eight months later, we saw that it was still hanging around. It was off market, it was still there, but no one had picked it up. Went back again, we went back in $50,000 higher, so we're at 2.1 million, 50,000, and their $3.2 million asking price jumped down to 2.6. And wow. so that fact, huge, huge discount, right? And so we said, okay, let's keep going back and forth. And so over the course of the next, you know, 30, 40 days, we got the price down to 2.3 million and it just went to the end. We showed them actually our underwriting and just, and just said at the end, just said, Hey guys, not trying to beat you up, but just based on the current operation of the property, we're not in state. We have to hire third party management. This is what it's going to cost to operate it. We're bringing in investors with them that we have to meet returns. So we're not trying to beat you up and lowball you here. This is just what the numbers work out to. We'd love to do a deal with you let's make this happen. Sent that over to them. And after that fact, they came back and said, okay, we agreed 2.3 nice. million and we got it to the finish line. Nice. 
Nice. So help me understand. So the couple of department deals that I've been in recently, um, it's not traditional syndication. It's actually, they're all value add apartments. So there's either bad management or the building needs uh, fixed up and repaired. And in these cases, what we've done with our investors, uh, so I have over 200 private lenders. Uh, we've, we've got an eight figure private equity fund. And then those investors uh, are also looking for other kind of one-off opportunities to kind of diversify. So they might plunk down 200 grand or 500 grand or, you know, whatever in our private equity fund. And they're always coming back to me, Josh, and saying, hey, you know, what else do you got? And I don't want to put all my money in your fund, but we've, we've been performing and performing and performing for years and years and years. Uh, so what else do you got? So the way we structure these couple of apartment deals lately is, um, you know, the operator's sponsor is a friend of mine. And, uh, you know, he got a first mortgage, personal guarantee. Uh, for about 80% of the deal. The other 20%, which is, you know, your rehab, your down payments, some of your soft costs, stuff like that, we came in with equity. And uh, what we structured it was uh, 10% basically in a, in a fixed uh, note, unsecured because the first mortgage lender wouldn't allow us to secure a whole bunch of second mortgages, right? So unsecured, but a first mortgage, uh, a second mortgage note essentially for 10% fixed interest while the property is being repositioned, leased up, improved, etc. When we get to a certain point, within usually between 18 to 30 months, uh, 36 months, we're looking for that permanent finance refi with an agency loan, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, etc. And at that point, with the the way they're proformating out and projecting out is. We'll be able to pay off the, the uh, original 80% construction loan, give all the investors all their principal back, and then there's, in a lot of these, they project out to have cash out refied proceeds. So we're giving the investors their principal back, they've gotten 10% fixed return during the reposition, they're getting some refi proceeds back, and we're leaving the investors in the deal in perpetuity. So they've actually got four cash flows. Um, they got the 10%, they got cash out refi, now they've got cash flow from the building long-term and equity. So that's how we structured those and it's really cool. Our investors seem to be like, oh my God, that's awesome. You're like, I wanna do that. It resonates with everybody uh, because who doesn't want four streams of income, right? right. Um, so that's one method and I'm curious, not only for, you know, hopefully I can help you raise some capital from this interview and podcast and send some money your way, but I might be interested in investing, but how are you guys doing your deals? Are you doing them similar? Are you doing them different? Everyone's got sort of a different structure. So help us understand that. So we are similar in, in, in most components of stuff. We've been able to go agency right from the start. Even though we're finding these properties, they've all been 90% occupied or more. So we've been able to pick up a Fannie or Freddie loan from the start. Um, you know, and just remember, 90% occupied doesn't mean that everybody's paying. You can have you know, 100 people sure. living in the building, but zero people paying. And so it's, it's occupied versus effective. So we had 90% or more in all of the buildings, but we have been able to find the values really just in the management inefficiencies, really, because you're finding these from mom and pop owners. Uh, we just bought sure. a 48 unit about two months ago now. Uh, the guys had it for 20 years, had literally zero financials, had three leases from about <laughs> you know, seven to 10 years. Right. So 
we had to work this all back in and put this all back together. And we, we had a you know relationship with the lenders. So they knew that we knew our numbers. We were able to build back what our per unit expenses were. So we were able to get this over the finish line by having the owner go in there and get month to month leases and putting some things in line. But it added another complexity layer to this. But we do a preferred return, uh, generally you know, a seven or eight preferred return with a split after that to the limited partners and then to us, usually 70, 30, uh, possibly with a waterfall to 50, 50 if we hit a certain IRR marker. Nice. Uh, about 20%. And then we do look to refi because the first one, this 94 unit, it was actually a Fannie, uh, Fannie Mae 7.6 arm. And it allowed us to roll the CapEx into the property, but we didn't want to be stuck with a rotating interest rate, especially with now. So our anticipation was that between year one and two, we were going to actually be able to go in there and refi the property after making all the improvements. So we had the lender repairs, which were six month and 12 month lender required repairs that they want us to do. And plus we had our, our capital expenditures that we implanted. to do. We, we actually knocked them all out in five months. So at that point, we had everything ready. Houses, this apartment should be easy, right? Yeah, it was great. We went through and we were rocking and rolling. So we felt really good. We had a uh, the way that we we always want to make sure that we're able to pair investors from the start and just tell them, you know, so if this is a property that uh, we're going to go in there and stabilize and get going, we want to make sure that we have a moderate rent rate strategy. So we're not ripping the bandaid off and why we're doing all this construction now having a big uptick in, uh, in vacancy. Cause we want to be able to meet returns quarter, every quarter we pay our investors and go through on that part. So we kept our investors, paid our investors all, all the way throughout. And then at month 13, because we had a one year blackout period on the loan, we were able to go, go in there and refi, into a Freddie fixed rate uh, product, 10-year term, and yes. we were able to give back 75% of the capital to investors. So we didn't tell them that that was the plan because, of course, you know, we do look to refi, but, but there's, of course, no guarantees. But at that point, we went there, and it allowed us to take that capital that we gave back to all the investors. And the good thing with that is, is if you do this process, make sure you have another property ready to go so you can just say to the oh, yeah. investors, hey, guys. By the way, that strategy, we're just going to take that strategy, rinse and repeat right over here with this property, has a look, and we basically filled that raise within a day, just had everybody ready to go. So it was a really nice move right into another property. Nice. I like it. Yeah, slightly different uh, technique, but uh, really, really effective stuff. And uh, we'll have to we're talk. Not opposed, we're not opposed to doing uh, heavier lifts. It's just the opportunities we've found so far just haven't, haven't aligned with that process. But, you know, for that – we're comfortable with the heavy construction component. Uh, we've just been now with our core being able to find these properties that just worked out to allow us with agency. Yeah, I love it. Love it. Yeah, I'll have to talk more about some of the deal flow you're seeing and uh, if you guys need equity uh, for some of that stuff and what that might look like. I look forward to working with you on some of those. Um, so we've talked a little bit about the past. We've talked a little bit about your strategy now. So Jason, tell us a little bit about the future. Like what are your your big goals, your sort of embarrassing, crazy ideas for yourself and your family and your business. Where do you want to go? And again, the reason why I ask this is, uh, you know, even really, really experienced operators constantly need to be sort of shocked into thinking about the future and opening their eyes even bigger. Uh, I tell my audience all the time, look, you are going to become the sum total of what you think about all day you are gonna become the sum total of the habits that you have. And if you're thinking about mediocrity, you will have mediocrity. And so I always like to talk to really experienced guys and interview people like you, Jason, and really think about like, what is this just embarrassing, big, audacious future look like um, to not only for you and I to get to know each other better, but for our audience to think bigger. So what are your thoughts on that? 
Sure. And that's actually good timing. We just did, uh, we had our yearly recap, my wife and I, we sat down, you know, right at the beginning of the year and just said, okay, let's look at the highlights from 2018 and just really talk about 2019 what we want and just broke it down, of course, into, you know, family, fitness, financial, just really looking at where are we going here and the direction moving forward. And uh, my wife is is part of the team. She, she's a real estate agent. She helps with a lot of the core core processes we have in place here. And for us, we're just working at ways that we can get our time back because we have three young kids, four, two, and six months. So, you know, time is real quick right now. It's, it's amazing. But, you know, you look up and, uh, you know, two years have gone by and you say, where is that? And I, I, I love the work we do. It's great work. It's great to work with family. Of course, you know, a group of Italians, we can find our differences as you can. Yeah. But on that said, we, we found a rhythm and we're looking on how can we take that rhythm and really accelerate it. So we want to have 10,000 units in five years. And, and it's not that it's not that we want, we will. It's just how are we going to do that? And now taking that back, because you think about it, like if anybody's saying here today, I want to flip my first house or I want to, you know, I, I want to buy a house to live in. I want to buy a duplex to live in. And OK, how do I take that and now turn that into daily, weekly, monthly achievable, actionable goals. And that's what we're trying to do now is just create that environment where, okay, I want 10,000 units. That's great. That's, that's wonderful. I want that. I, I've said that. Perfect. No, nobody cares until I start building that into actionable, achievable tasks that I can track. So does that cr- take, uh, you know, creating two or three relationships a week? Is that take, you know, entering into other markets and really learning about this new market? How many, how many properties do I have to look at to be able to have, you know, how many offers go out to have, how many maybe uh, uh, the LOIs accepted to how many properties I'm going to close on? What does that look like? How many investor talks do I need to have going forward? So we're building back that to be really chunkable, achievable goals and now tracking our progress from there. Um, Love it. My my wife grew up in Hawaii. Somehow she's crazy enough to live with me here in New Jersey. <laughs> she is crazy. I want to meet her. Exactly. So I, I don't <laughs> let her outside much in the winter. So I just put out a bunch of bright lights and uh, you know put the heat on and just say okay, and then uh, make sure we get to Hawaii with the kids. But we, we we want to be able to live in Hawaii for a couple months a year and allow my parents, who have just worked so damn hard for all these years, just to really pick and choose how they want to work and when they want to work because. Just because you, you, you get your time back doesn't mean you want to stop working. And I think if we could do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, my dad would still want to work. That's just yeah. what he wants to do, you know, and that, that's fine. You know, everybody knows what they wants. So we're just trying to allow to ourselves to create a lifestyle that really can be part of the business instead of having the business push us to what we have to do. Yeah. That's great, Jason. We've got a lot in common. So I have a, a, a thoroughbred, 100% Italian wife as well. Yeah. Um, she's got big, beautiful black and brown hair and dark olive skin. And her father, similar to yours, uh, you know, he's 81 years old and still has been a barber for 56 years since he immigrated. He's been working, you know, five and six days a week as a barber and standing on his feet. And, you know, he cuts my hair, he cuts my son's hair, you know, his grandson. And, uh, you know, still goes to the barbershop like two, three days a week because he's got customers, right, who've been with him for 20, 30, 40 years, been cutting the same people's hairs. You know, the, cut the grandfather's hair, cut the father's hair, and now he's cutting the grandson's hair. And sounds a lot like, you know, your uh, your father, your father that he's, you know, just uh, j- just worked so hard for so long. And it's awesome to have a goal to kind of retire your parents, even though your dad and my father-in-law would never retire 
but it's the, the, the idea of choice, right? To do whatever they want. Uh, awesome to have have that goal. I want to give you a piece of advice too, just kind of man to man. I had a, I had a friend of mine, and his kids. My kids are uh, ten, nine, and seven. I've got two girls really close in age, and then my son. And a couple of years ago, I was at his house, and he's uh, he's my head coach in my coaching business. His name is Kyle. We're at Kyle's. We're going to this country club to pitch twenty five investors uh, to invest in his his fund and his deals. And we're sitting in Kyle's basement. Actually having a beer, his daughter's there, his son, kids, and he says, you know, you think you got them, he's talking about his kids, you know, you think you got them until they're 18 or 22 or 25, and he's like, you don't. He's like, you got them until they're 12. And I said, 12? You know, my oldest daughter at that time was seven. 12, what are you talking about? He's like, look, man, when they're 12, they're still, they want to be part of the family, they want to hang out with mom and dad. But now, they're starting to explore hanging out with their friends, right, and doing sleepovers and going to the mall and... You know, maybe they have a brother or sister, their friends have a brother or sister who has a car and they're able to drive a little bit and go places. So it's like, you really got to cherish it, man, because you really think you have them longer, but really 12 is about the time when they care more about their friends and being with their friends. Even if you're a super fun dad, even if we are a super fun family and you get to travel to Hawaii and do amazing stuff and we do all kinds of things like that, they're still going to, for whatever reason, look at their friends as slightly more fun than their parents. So I just wanted to pass that along to you, man, as just man to man, dad to dad. Uh, enjoy it now, man, because it is so important. You don't have them forever. And uh, man, putting in that time now for me, I've been able to put tons of time into my kids and I'll have no regrets. So right. hopefully, nice. hopefully you take that to heart and, uh, and we can share that going forward. Second thing I want to tell you, as an Italian, I don't know if you like comedy. You like comedy? I sure do. Are you familiar with this Italian comedian, Sebastian Maniscalco? No, but I need to ah! All right. Now we're talking, brother. So this Sebastian Maniscalco, I was actually just in Washington, D.C. Um, about a month ago, and we drove up from Washington into Baltimore. Now, I've seen this guy live twice, most recently in November, and you being the son of an Italian – being an Italian, you will love this dude. And if you have Netflix, right? Everyone's got Netflix. Yeah, everyone's got. All right. So he's got a brand new special coming out on the fifteenth of this month on Netflix. It's called uh, Stay, his, his Stay Hungry Tour. So for my audience, if you guys like comedy, this guy is is fairly clean. Like drops a couple f bombs, but fairly clean and just the funniest dude. So we saw him in Cleveland. And we saw him in, uh, in Baltimore. My wife just loses it when she uh, listens to this guy because it's her whole upbringing. It's her whole childhood as an Italian. Um, and even if you're not Italian, you can, you can definitely resonate with some of his, uh, his humor of just observing today's world. It's good stuff, man. So we're actually, my wife and I are like dying till January 15th to see when this comes yeah, out. So you saw him twice, so that means I definitely have to see him. If you go watch, no. I think I got everything with you. If you go back again, that means that this is a, uh, a, a no-brainer. Yeah, I just took my wife and I, I bought, uh, we were in the second row, down in the front, and she just, you know, one of her favorite experiences ever. So check him out on Netflix and, uh, yeah. and you'll love it. Um, so I, I wanted to kind of wrap up, Jason, with just asking you um, really two questions. One is, you, you, with your real estate experience, everybody has like that one crazy deal that they've bought, some crazy story. I once bought a house 
where there was a double homicide in the property that I never never knew about till I owned it. So everyone has that crazy story. So is there a, a, a crazy deal that you've done that kind of sticks out as that one crazy deal that you've done and what did you learn from it? So I, I guess we'll say the first flip we did, usually people go in there and do, you know, like a, like a paint and carpet. I'll go in there, you know, maybe I'll freshen it up. Well, we said, okay, since we lived houses, let's take a house that was basically a ranch on the ground that was, uh, you know, 800 square feet. And we're going to take that ranch. And if you can imagine, literally on the ground, so it's about 12 feet high. And we're going to take that structure and lift it in the air 20 feet. And so 20 feet in the air, we're going to lift it. So now it's, of course, FEMA compliant. So we actually built a whole first story underneath the existing first story, flip-flopped the footprint to move it downstairs, made it from 800 square feet to about 3,000 square feet, and built a garage underneath, which the garages can't be below grade, but they can be at grade and above. So now we solved the point that there was no off uh, um off-street parking in this town. It's very difficult to get it. So now we had a garage, we had a driveway, we had about 3,000 square feet from 800, stacked it up, just imagine Jenga blocks, and you see this house that now you couldn't, you couldn't even recognize from a block away, and now you can see it all the way down the block, but it's in a really desirable part of um, the, the Jersey Shore. So we knew that adding square footage that the cost for construction, we could get back in at the price point. But of course, yes. You know, we hadn't done that type of project before in terms of all the house stuff we do. We've never done the finishing work on that part, at least myself. You know, my dad's done everything in his own mind. But at that point, we had, you know, we generally have somewhere between, depending on the time of year, sometimes 20 to 50 projects going on. So we had a lot going on trying to do that one as our first flip. You know, it turned out great, but it was it was sure a, a, a lesson. And the big lesson came again with the utility shutoffs is that we lost so much time. There was so much out of control just at that point. So just trying to size it all up, doing this extensive rehab, flip-flopping the footprint and making sure that just in our mind, imagining how it was all going to lay out, flipping the footprint uh, was, was quite an experience. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. And last question. Uh, I'd love to hear people's advice that they would give their younger former self, whether it's as a father, whether it's in business, whether it's entrepreneurship, real estate, leadership, you know, it doesn't have to be necessarily real estate related, but is there something that you would tell your younger former self that you could pass along to our audience and, and that could help them on their journey and wherever they're going? Sure. Uh, so, there's a lot of different ways you can go, but you just need to start now. Whatever you want to do, you want to start now. If you want to start real estate, you know, you can learn forever. You, you can go to real estate meetings. You can go to the real you can, you can do things for the next 50 years and still not know everything, especially in this moving dynamic business. Start now. You're going to fail. That's fine. Learn from your failures and grow on it. And the way that you can make your failures and curtail them is surround yourself with the right people. Put in place the processes to get out there and meet people because there's so many people that are so giving back that, that really, you know, maybe they, maybe they need help. You know, running the Home Depot if you want to be a flipper. Maybe they, uh, you know, if they're apartment, uh, you know, buying apartment buildings, maybe they don't have time to go out there and learn about markets. There's so many different ways you you can help someone else and really see the inners of their process so for it to become real and. A quick example is that uh, we had a couple people that wanted to buy apartment buildings and they actually invested in, in uh, one of our deals just so they could, they could see, you know, behind the veil and just understand how it was working. And when they say it's, you know, this isn't magic, it's not like some unicorn, it's just, it's just buying real estate, large real estate. And they saw that, understood like the steps they were doing just, I guess, validated in their mind that this is what they, what they were doing was on the right track and allowed them to take action, go out there and now find their own opportunities. And, and they are, which is awesome. Yeah, fantastic. Yes, yeah, start now. The only regret I really have is, is I would just wish I would have started earlier. I started really young. 
start even sooner, right? The other piece of advice I would give is, man, like if, if you're flipping properties for income, that's great if you need it. But if the other piece of advice I'd give myself would be, I would hold as many properties as I can. That's all the ultimate goal, right? Is, is massive, passive cash flow, personal freedom. And that ultimately comes with cash flowing assets. So hold as many as you can, whether it's apartments or single family, multi, whatever. Hold, hold, hold. Flip for income if you need it, and then hold everything else that you possibly can. Um, so Jason, it's been awesome uh, spending time with you today. I wanna make sure that if any of our audience wants to connect with you, uh, whether it's at your meetup, whether it's through your website, investing in one of your deals, whatever. Um, so is there a website or a phone number or an email or some way for, uh, for them to connect with you if they want to? Sure, absolutely. So yarusiholdings.com, uh, Y-A-R-U-S-I holdings.com is our website. Uh, you can find our podcast there. You can find our emails there. Um, welcome to come to the meetup. It's once a month, New Jersey Multifamily Investment Club. It's a no pitch, no frills. We just come there and just talk about what we're doing and have other guys bring in what they're doing, other ladies, real case studies, just about people who are actually doing it, just for everybody just grow as a community. So thank you so much for having me in the show. Yeah, absolutely, guys. And if you enjoyed the show, uh, leave us comments. Uh, leave us a five-star rating, a review. If you have questions for Jason or me, put those right on those platforms. This will be up in Stitcher and, uh, and iTunes and YouTube. And my team monitors those platforms for questions. If you've got something for Jason, you can leave it there or you can email my office. Um, and, you know, Jason and I talked a little bit about funding. If you need funding for your deals and you're a listener of this, you can check out our website at freelandlending.com. You can submit an inquiry there. If you need some sort of training, coaching, you can always check out our mentorship application at joshcantwellcoaching.com. Reach out to Jason at yarusiholdings.com and just make sure you plug in. You know, we love doing deals with friends and, uh, and students and colleagues. We do a ton of deals. Jason does a ton of deals. Let's do deals. Uh, I actually have a student of mine who says, we all do better when we do deals together. And I like that one. So thanks a lot for joining us today, Jason. And uh, best of luck with all your endeavors and especially lifting all those crazy houses, man. That's Thank fun you. stuff. Thank you. Very all right. Awesome. You bet. You bet. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for joining us at the Strategic Real Estate Coach Podcast and Interview Series. We'll talk to you soon. Be daring and take care. You were just listening to Strategic Real Estate Coach Radio, hosted by Josh Cantwell and Kyle Gariffo. Leave a comment on our iTunes channel and let us know what you want to learn next, who you would like us to interview, or if you just want to share some of your success stories in real estate. And maybe we'll talk about it on our next show. While you're there, give us a five-star rating and make sure you subscribe so you can be the first to hear new episodes every Wednesday. Follow Josh Cantwell and Strategic Real Estate Coach on Facebook and Twitter. Check out all our awesome free training videos at youtube.com forward slash SREC video. If you want to find out 55 simple and powerful ways to find killer real estate investments, go to 55simpleways.com forward slash podcast right now to download our free report and get a ton of free resources on finding properties and funding properties. And stay up to date on what's happening right now in the real estate industry. That's 55simpleways.com forward slash podcast. Podcast. Thanks for listening.